ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of the California Angels and the City of Los Angeles, on the occasion of Her Majesty's royal visit, please welcome internationally renowned opera star Enrico Palazzo. Yes, he's in the intensive care ward at Our Lady of the Worthless Miracle. Welcome to everyone. Uh, we are the Plaza Podcast Prospects Half Hour, which may or may not go over half an hour today. We'll see. We're going to have a good discussion today. Um, I've got Jerry Perkins with us, and uh, my name's Benjamin Chase, if you don't all know. Uh, we are here, and one of the big things that, uh, one of the main reasons I got you on here, Jared, is I know you do a podcast, and you really kind of focus on who the player is. We get into yeah. a lot of discussions about a guy's hit tool and his, you know, fastball grade and all those sorts of things, which are all well and good. Those are important things to know about a prospect, but we're dealing with some pretty big changes in, especially in college baseball right now that there have been a number of folks come out and talk about how this is going to really impact the mental health of players and what I don't know if people fully grasp is when you're talking about, I mean, I played in the big 10 and uh, you know, at that time we still didn't even have Rutgers in Maryland. You yeah. know, that was after my days. And so, I mean, back then Rutgers in Maryland kind of made sense to add on, you know, yeah. they were kind of within that area, but UCLA and USC is a whole different ball of wax. And now you very well could have a UCLA baseball weekend series where they are going from, from Los Angeles all the way to Rutgers, which is in New Jersey. And so, I mean, you're talking about at least a day's travel probably on either side. And then you're talking about a Friday, Saturday, Sunday series. So there's five days. If you're in college, <laughs> Most of us can do math that there's only seven days in a week. So that leaves you two days to go to class. That really is going to put a strain on collegiate ball players and trying to get all their, keep up with all their stuff, do any practicing. And then God forbid, they also have Wednesday games. <laughs> so how the yeah. heck, you know, th this is a big, big thing that could really affect how, you know, players at all levels, but especially college players. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how it kind of pans out, especially for the, the you think about the move. The move was made for football, right? That's where the money is. And so oh, yeah. that's why the conferences are the way that they are. Um, so I think it's interesting to it's going to be interesting to see how it impacts other sports and other athletes who don't play football. So, you know, even your baseball players, you got your um, swim and dive athletes, you got uh, your volleyball, you got everything other sport you can think of. Um, so it's going to it's going to take a toll on some athletes. I think the one thing is you when you're trying to become an adult, I mean, you're still working on that in college. Right. And you talk about there being a youth and adolescent mental health crisis in the United States. I'm not saying that the, we should be singling out mental health specifically, but there's going to be impacts there. 
um, on those student athletes mm-hmm. as well. Um, and then for baseball, I mean, you're going to have a Sunday flyout game at like 10 a.m. Because how yeah. else are you going to get back to the, the West Coast from the East Coast unless you have a 10 a.m. game, you finish by like 1, 1 o'clock and then you're flying back uh, for a light trip. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. I mean, I, I think it was, was it Cal that's moving to the ACC? It was Cal and Stanford. I think they're moving to either yeah. the ACC. Yeah. Hey, Mike. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> hey, how you guys doing? Uh, I don't have headphones, so I'm just going to talk, and then I'll mute myself and listen to you guys over and over again. I'm totally, totally out of whack right now, so I'm just glad to be here. Jared, thank you for being here. Yeah, Very excited course. that the show is live. Thank you, Ben, for getting things started. And uh, let me give that to you. You talk. Go. Give me two. Get that, and then I'll just listen. Thanks for... Let me be here, guys. Hey, whatever. Yeah. So I mean, I feel like yeah. We're, yeah. You guys don't. Yeah. So. Yeah, I was I'll gonna say, you, look I'll at like keep talking and, here, and Cal, um, like those kind of matchups. So you have Boston College. You're gonna have to fly all the way out there. I know the Cal. I think it was the Cal president talked about how they're gonna have games potentially in Dallas. So like both teams, who's gonna get excited for like a Boston College versus Cal matchup in Dallas, Texas? Who's going to that game yeah. and watching that play? Especially if it's baseball. I mean, I don't know. It just seems And that's weird. just it, yeah. I mean, I know we just watched LSU win a national title and folks I think get this idea that the way that things are with Louisiana State, that the way that things are with you know, the SEC is the way it is for all college baseball. That's just not true. I mean, I, I sang the national anthem at a lot of gopher baseball games where <laughs> it was myself, the girlfriends of players, and parents of players that could make it that were in the stands after I sang, you know, and so that's and that's a big program. I mean, that, you know, the gophers were coming off of making it a step away from Omaha before I went to college. And they they didn't they weren't a consistent Omaha team, but that was a consistent Big Ten uh, competitive team, and yet that's what they drew, you know? (laughs) So it's that, I mean, we're not talking about this huge sport that, you know, I've been to Michigan Stadium when it's, you know, plumb full, and it's huge. You know, it's it's a, you know, I've never experienced a baseball game with that kind of noise. Yeah, if you're having to meet at a minor league stadium too in Texas, which is minor league stadiums are still going to be bigger than college stadiums. A lot of them, unless you're in the SEC, then you got a big college baseball stadium. But yeah, and that's just it. You know, there's there's not that same environment for a lot of the big, you know, for a lot of these, even like I said, Big Ten, Pac-12 schools that may have a a history in baseball which is a shame because you don't want to see that be what's going on. But the big thing to me is, man, if I'm a student, I know when I was traveling with the football team, just how tough it was to make sure I had all my crap done before we took off on a Friday for a game where we had a long bus trip. Yeah. And then we wouldn't get back till late Sunday. So I had no study time. Yeah. You know, and, you know that's, that was like to Michigan. That was to Penn state. That was, you know, yes, I'm, I'm very happy I got to go on those type of trips, but there were trips that we could go overnight Friday, be home Sunday morning. You know, it was really not that difficult of a trip comparatively. This is going to be a whole different ball of wax, and you still have to keep up with your studies. And that, to me, is just an incredible thing to consider for players right now that, 
you know, I, I have a nephew who's 14. He's a very good ball player, very likely to be a collegiate ball player. I don't know if I can suggest that. If he gets a chance as the 20th round draft pick for someone, <laughs> I mean, you almost have to say, hey, maybe take a look at it, you know, yeah. and see what they're offering. Because you can get the college done. Kind of, I don't want to say you can go to college anytime, but honestly, if this is what college is turning into, <laughs> it's kind of yeah. a scary thought. Yeah, it goes back to the putting, right? The reason it's called student athletes because you're supposed to put the student first, not the athlete. Mm-hmm. But it seems like they're kind of going the other way around here. Yeah. And so, Jared, I guess we just kind of jumped right into this. Give me a little background on what drew you to kind of do the work you do. Because from from my personal view, you are for sure the guy in the baseball atmosphere who's speaking to to mental health with baseball players and the player behind just, like I said, the stats and things like that to who the player is. That's a great perspective to have. And like I said, it, from my view, you're the guy who's really kind of at the forefront of that. And what kind of pushed you into that? Yeah, I think I started doing prospect analysis um, when I first started writing and that's all I was doing. But then I started to realize the more I wrote, like, there's kind of this missing element, the the human being behind it. So why did he go for four that day? What, what happened in his life that could have impacted his daily routine? Um, what's going on in his life that could impact his development as a prospect. And I think that's what really drew me into starting to do the human side of things because I was like, well, yeah, stats and numbers and data are great, but there's all these other elements that happen outside um, that we kind of don't know about. Uh, when we think about prospect development and everybody expects prospects to develop the same way. So if you're like the number one overall pick, yeah. you should be developing the same way as every other number one overall pick, even though each individual human is unique and their path and journey is going to be different no matter where they're drafted. And so I think that's something that like people, a lot of people don't understand when they're looking and evaluating prospects is like each of these guys are different. Like you could be taken in the 10th round mm-hmm. because there's some development, like you just were slower to develop than the other guy. And or you had factors in your life that maybe you didn't have the the means necessary financially to get the nutrition that you needed or the workout plans and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you get go to college, you get a scholarship, and now you have access to all these things. Next thing you know, you're throwing like 95 on the bump or whatever. And then all of a sudden you're a draft prospect. So like everybody's got a different mm-hmm. journey and a different path. And I think that's the well, I know that's the main reason why I started the podcast was to kind of highlight those different journeys and different paths. Cause and to show like younger athletes like there's not one route to the big league. So if you have a dream of making it to the pros, there's all these different journeys. There's all these different human beings who have done it in different ways. And I think it's good to highlight for people. Yeah. You know, you, you make me think of this year, a guy who was not really drafted where anyone expected him to be a whole lot was Kyle Manzardo. Mm. You know, he was really Mm -hmm. kind of a mid second day draft pick. Everyone kind of thought, well, you know, first round guy, a lot of those guys that get drafted where he got drafted turn into org filler types, and he blows up, becomes a legit high-end prospect. He's been going through a lot of family stuff this year that really has not allowed him to focus on baseball. And the fact that he's just even accomplishing what he's accomplished on the field, to me, is impressive. Yeah. And, you know, we don't give that thought to a lot of this, you know, that – Hey, he's not on the field. What's going on? Why, you know, why isn't he giving his all to the team? And I'm thinking, well, sorry, life often gives you 
more important things to deal with. Um, and that's, it's, it's surprising to me to see that. Yeah. Well, that aspect you, ignored. I mean, yeah. I mean, you look, think about even back in the day when Edson Volquez was pitching for the Royals in the world series and his dad passed away the day mm-hmm. he was pitching. They didn't tell him until after, like his mom just didn't want to tell him until after the game, but then he had to, the rest of the world series. He now was kind of dealing with that while trying to also win a world series championship. And that's just, I mean, we have these quote-unquote heroes of that moment. A guy like Brett Favre who goes out and throws however many touchdowns against the Raiders on Monday night after yeah. finding out his dad died. And that's the four. image. Okay. <laughs> but, I mean, that's the image that people get. Yeah. That this is this is what's expected is you're supposed to be able to overcome those things. You're a ball player. You're a warrior. And it's yeah. Like, well, but if you fail, then there's a whole yeah. different story. And, you or- know, one of the things I've seen – Two posts today on a on another uh, in a baseball group that I'm in on Facebook that are lambasting Alec Manoa for some quotes that he has. Mm-hmm. Alex going through is going through a lot of mental health stuff this year, and he has said that he's come out with that. But instead, it's well, you're not showing up to report at AAA. What's what's going on? You're you know you must just be a bum. You must not care about the game. And okay, that's that's easy to sit in our yeah. <laughs> lazy chair, <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> easy chair, and and say, hey, why aren't you playing the game? I would give anything to play the ball game. Yeah, but you know, there are days that you don't go in and go to your whatever job you do too. Yeah. And, well, it's like think about George Kirby too for making a comment that oh, he only yeah. lasted ninety pitches and he just got tore apart by former big leaguers, like questioning his ability to go out there taking personal attacks on him, which was wild to me to see guys like Houston Street oh. and uh, I think it was Jared Weaver, Mark Mulder, all were just like questioning his entire integrity over one quote, which he also apologized for. It was like, I said it, I was emotional. I didn't say the right thing, but everybody's saying like, he doesn't deserve to be in the big leagues. He's going to have an above average career and that he's not worthless and no GM will want him. And that's what basically what the context of every tweet was about him for one comment that he made. In an oh interview. yeah. And it drives you bonkers because in one breath, we want. I mean, I see George Kirby and Spencer Strider are very similar to me in how they approach the game. They're very, very analytical minds. Mm-hmm. Loves love digging into the numbers and understanding why did this work today and why didn't it work. That's the type of anal- analysis that we have going on anymore in the game. Yet when they Spencer Strider got a hard time for it earlier, it was either earlier this year or late last year. Pitched a game against the Mets and didn't go well. And he basically said, I pitched better than what the score says. Yeah. And because all of the balls that got through were like expecting batted average of like 0.085. And and he ended up a lot of those type of hits in that particular game. And he just, he got bumped out in like the second inning and made a comment like that and just got drug over the rails for it. And Kirby is the same way. He is very analytical in his approach. And I'm sure he probably looked at that and went, okay, I know I wasn't at my best after 90 pitches. It was prob- There was probably somebody in the bullpen who could come in and pump 98 that was going to be better than me at that moment, and that's who should have been in there. Yeah. Not necessarily saying, like, I don't want the ball, but saying I maybe wasn't the best choice in that moment. And yet when he expresses that, we look at him and go, oh, well, he just doesn't have the grit that you need to make it as a ball player. Yeah. And that's, to me, that's 
a crap analysis. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like also I think someone called out Jared Weaver too because he came after him, and then like there's a news article from years ago Jared Weaver saying that he needed to get pulled out of a game because he didn't have it anymore. It's like, well, if you're gonna call him out, then mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe check your track record here. So I guess that's you know we look at the struggles we've had in the in in mental health in baseball mm-hmm. and you know and we see this kind of attack that we get i mean from the media side and also from you know your you know joe q public on twitter x whatever you want to call it now um but what can we do to make it better jared i i don't know what that it's hard <laughs> to come up with like a solution um i mean a lot of it is one trying to find be to be better people and kinder people. I think that's the one thing that you can kind of always hang your hat on. But uh, players, they play Major League Baseball. They're going to be in front of a huge audience while they play. Their players now are, sorry, players, fans now have access to players through social media mm-hmm. and DMs and ways to get a hold of them. And that's why you see some guys like don't even have social media because they don't yeah. even want to deal with it. Um, but for a lot of players, the way they can kind of build their platform for a post career is through social media. So like, it's kind of a twofold thing where, um, the social media platform gives them an opportunity to develop something that they can have post baseball because their career likely won't last long for most guys, right? You're looking at five years, maybe for some guys, if you have a really long career, you're going to be a 10 plus year guy. So they need to find something to do after baseball and social media Mm -hmm. is like building a brand and building who you are or not building who you are, but just building something you can have to go to after the game. Um, So like there's a positive in having it, but then when they have it, it's just, you can get DMS from everybody you can think of uh, if you have a bad performance. So I think one, it's a lot of just trying to find ways to be kinder to people. I think the second thing is like take a realistic approach because like, I think about my, I know I don't get paid millions of dollars to do my job, but like, what if someone was coming at you in your own job, like telling you how terrible you are that day at work? <laughs> That's basically what you're yeah. doing. To, I, I'm a reporter. I get it a yeah. lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you're basically do That's, that's kind of how, I look at it as like, yeah, sure, they make millions of dollars on a big stage, but am I ever going to treat a player that way? I think I'll be upset like if a team that I root for loses, but I'm not going to take it out on individual players. And that's, I think that's where, as much as we want to promote fantasy, fantasy sports, I think that that is an area where fantasy has put a bad... <laughs> bad taste into playing the game frankly because you got to respond you know i don't i can't even remember which running back it was and this is like four years ago where he he ended up getting tackled on like the two yard line late in the game and the game was blowout it was a blowout he you know may not have been going as hard as he was if it would have been a close game and they needed that touchdown but he got tackled ended up a couple yards short and they gave it to a fullback who then ran it in from you know a couple yards out so he didn't get the touchdown that everyone was hoping to, and they got into his got into his dms because he had him yeah. open at the time and he put it out there that hey this isn't okay folks yeah. like you know and i think he had like 100 yards and two touchdowns that game so it wasn't like he had a bad game it's just that they were going, they were wanting one more and it's like well okay what what are we demanding of these folks they're you know, we're talking, you know, we talk about baseball here. 
you're talking about a game where an elite level hitter fails six to seven times yeah. out of ten. I mean, that's expected that they're going to fail six to seven times out of ten. Yeah. And yet here we are <laughs> ripping on them for, you know, gee, what what's your deal? Why aren't you hustling to first? Yeah. You know, and then I we interviewed Eric Brown Jr. He's one of the he's the first oh, rounder yep. for the Milwaukee Brewers top prospect. He uh talked about how he's like the it's a game, you're gonna fail 70% of the time. So what are you gonna do to find positives outside of the game? He goes, because like if you are sitting there even if you're the best at this game, failing 70% of the time, you're still going to start looking at your failures. So how are mm-hmm. you going to find things outside of the game that bring you positivity, that bring you joy? What do you, he, like, he's a guy that's 22, 21 years old, already has found like, hey, baseball is not who I am. It's what I do. And that's not, that's, you don't see that in a lot of prospects. So that's why that interview was very intriguing to me because he's like, baseball is what is what I do. It's not who I am. And he goes, I find positivity outside. He has his faith. He has his family. He has it, um, uh, his girlfriend, things like that, that he can really knows when he goes home at the end of the day off the field, he's got those things he can go to. So like the, the world doesn't end if he has an O for four day. And that's, I guess I come from my other thing I did in college was I did music. And so I mean, gosh, dang, if my vocal lessons, I could tell you every note I didn't hit pure. Yeah. But yet, if you had 99.9% of the world listening to me sing would go, geez, that was a great performance. Yeah. But me, I get done and I go, well, you know, in the second line, I messed up this word. I didn't pronounce it exactly right. (laughs) And then when you got later into the song, I missed this note. I was just under it, you know, and you know all these things. Yeah. And, you know... You listen. I love listening right now. You know, being a Braves fan, uh, Ronald Acuna and Matt Olson are about the two hottest hitters in the league right now. And Matt Olson the other night hits his 50th home run and comes off, and they're talking to him a little bit, and he talks about how there was a a ball in like the inning before the last at bat that he had had that he crushed, but he missed. Yeah, and so it was a flyout. And he said, you know, I hit that one a lot better than I hit the home run. Yeah, I just hit it off the wrong part of the bat. He happened to hit hit the one that he got out weekly, but he hit it off the right part of the bat and all that, like comparatively weekly, and it went out the opposite way. So, I mean, just one of those things that, and he said, yeah, I did everything right on the previous one and it's an out. Yeah, I did. I did 80% of the things right. And this one, and it's my home run, you know, and that's, that's a, you know, it's one of those perspectives you got to have. And, you know, gosh, as a pitcher, you miss your spot by a half an inch. To you, it's the end of the world. And it could mean that it, the ball leaves the park. But, you know, there's going to be a lot of times that you miss that spot by, you know, a quarter of an inch. And because you did, it puts a little extra movement or puts it in a spot the guy wasn't ready for and you get the strikeout. Mm-hmm. So either time you missed your spot. Yeah. But one gave you a strikeout, the other one gave up a home run. And that's it it stinks as a pitcher because you know as well, but it's just it. Yeah. A pitcher throws a hundred pitches a game and at best <laughs> gets twenty-seven outs. Yeah. Stick around for more Palazzo Podcast. After this, Ben reveals. The meaning of life.
up next on the Blotso Podcast. Not every pitch you're going to make, and nobody has ever struck out more than 20 in a game. So, I mean, we're in, in the major league. So we're talking about even if you strike out 20, that means 80 of the pitches you made, if you threw 100 pitches that day, did not result in a strikeout. <laughs> so, you know, you, not every pitch was a perfect pitch. Not And frankly, a lot of the times we know a strikeout doesn't happen on a pitch even in the strike zone. Yeah. You know, so there's so much of this game that can mess with your mind. And that's why I think when I brought you on, I thought the game's already tough as it is. Why are we adding this crap into things in the, in the collegiate level? Yeah. And it just seems like that's asking for trouble. I guess it'll help them getting a transfer to minor league baseball and they have to do their bus trips. <laughs> well, and I guess we, we asked uh, Jim Callis a little bit when he was on and said, so, what do you we asked him what he thought of all the experimentation that's going on at all the different levels and how that changes the game that you've grown up playing i mean i don't know if you remember in the arizona fall league vlad guerrero darn near got his butt thrown out of a game because he was so mad with when they first tried out the automatic balls and strikes and at the time as the saying goes with ted williams that a catcher was frustrated that he didn't get a strike. He said, well, Mr. Williams didn't, you know, umpire said, Mr. Williams didn't swing. If Mr. Williams doesn't swing, it's not a strike, sir. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's kind of the way you were with Vlad at that point. He understood the zone so well that when he raised a fuss, everyone's like, well, what the heck? Well, yeah, the ball was actually, it was out of the strike zone, but where it needed to clip, it clipped. Yeah. It clipped just the right spot. And you know, granted, we've we've improved the technology, all this stuff, but it was technically a strike. Yeah. And then, well, I mean, you think about all the changes in the game. Everybody's getting mad at George Kirby for referencing pitch count, but that's where the game is at. Everybody mm-hmm. references pitch count. Players get taken out at 100 pitches. So he referenced pitch count because that's what he's grown up playing his entire life. That's yeah. all he's known. It's not like he pitched in the early 2000s when everybody was throwing way more pitches and in the 90s where all these guys who are tweeting out all former players who pitched during that era, like the game's just different. That's how it is now. I mean, as much as like, yeah, I don't think, I think Kirby knows that his comments weren't right in the right moment, but like, that's what he's raised on. That's what he knows. I I don't know what else, like like how you want to, I coach kids, 16 year old kids, like they're all on pitch counts. Yeah. They're taught pitch counts from the the youngest levels. So, I mean, he's probably in his head. Like, yeah. I mean, this isn't no. when I was, you know, when I was growing up and play, still playing youth ball in the early 90s, we had inning limits. Yeah. You know, you'd go to a weekend tournament and you're only allowed to pitch 12 innings total over the course of probably four games. So you couldn't just lean on one guy. That was what the Little League World Series did for years and years and years was an inning limit. Mm-hmm. And now they're onto a pitch count thing. Yeah. But I mean, it's not like, limiting a young pitcher is something new you know this is this is something we've been doing for more than 30 years and yet people start to call out young pitchers for being (laughs) soft or teams for being soft or all this other crud it's this is what we've been doing for years and frankly this is the system we brought them up in knowing that players were just destroying their elbows trying to emulate what was going on at the major league level 
mean, that's like Mark Moeller coming after him too. It's like that guy had four seasons basically, maybe five of two hundred plus innings, and then he was hurt all the time. All so the you time. think he'd be not yep. coming after the guy who's like, hey, longevity? <laughs> kind of want to have that. <laughs> and that's it blows me away because we don't. What, some of the guys that are on there. I mean, you're talking about a guy like you know Jared Weaver who lived at ninety miles an hour, like at ninety. A guy who throws 90 miles an hour right now is not really a fifth starter. <laughs> and he was he was an ace for a Unless few you're Adam years. Wayne, right? At you're least like of 86. his yeah, well, this is true. <laughs> you know, but that's that's the Cardinals and the there's a reason the Cardinals are the Cardinals this year yeah. too, but you know, you got to have that kind of that kind of velocity and especially in the bullpen if you want to have a long-term career. I mean, yes, I, you know, I'm a fan of the Braves. They've got two guys in their bullpen in Jesse Chavez and Colin McHugh that definitely don't fit that high velocity. Mm-hmm. But check out their changeup. That yeah. each one of them has a changeup that easily grades as a plus changeup, if not much better. And that's and they're throwing four or five pitches as a reliever. That's a big, big difference that you can yeah. control. And you know, if you don't have ninety-eight, you better have four really you know, at least average or better pitches in order to survive in a bullpen, let alone as a starter, mm-hmm. you know, which is, you know, so yeah, the fact that these guys are coming out and ripping on him and I don't think any of them could survive in today's game. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's just crazy. So, so Mike, do you have anything to add today on, on this, on this topic? You know, welcome Mike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, what can I tell you? It's a complicated world, and I don't think it's ever going to be the way you want it to be. No one's going to get 100% of what they want. Baseball players are going to have to accept the frustration of existence as a baseball player that it's Mm -hmm. really an unfair disadvantage to them. You get to live one of the most charmed lives, but people are going to be up in your grill, and that's just the way it's going to be. It's never not going to be that way. However... What fans don't realize is that baseball for professionals, they're professionals. So the word itself, professional, means it's a living, a career, a job. It's something that they go to do. It doesn't have to define them, although a lot of people are defined by their careers as professionals. Some baseball players are, others aren't. So in the end, there's plenty of baseball players, Jared, and I'm sure you can Mm -hmm. attest to this, that go to work. They're going to work for them. They want to do well. Just It's not like they want to just... It's not that it's just, oh, it's just a job and I'm leaving. Of course, they want to be the best they can be at their job, but they want to leave it at the field if they can, which is very difficult, as you guys already laid out. And therefore, fans can't really relate to that, even though they probably have jobs that is just a job to them. But since it's a million-dollar dream for a lot of players, there's millions of dollars in the game, there's billions of dollars in the game for owners and everybody else... People see those numbers and you get distracted by it. And that just bleeds into this social dysfunction we have in the United States of America. It's a capitalist system uh, where we're trying to make the most for the individuals. The individual is always harnessed and pushed forward in the United States. That's not, I don't think that's an exaggeration. I think that's a pretty fair Mm -hmm. assessment. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of great communities and groups that come together where people collaborate and we all try to work together. But individuality is a very big deal in this country, and it always has been. I don't know if it always will be, but for now it still is. So that makes it, unfortunately, a place where bitterness and resentment can fester 
when fans look at players and more ball players look at the fans, they, they both get sick of each other. So in certain ways and for certain reasons, I just think what you do is great. And Jared, you know that cause we text all the time. Yeah. I love what you do with talking to players, but I want to ask you, honestly, do you really think, do you get honest answers out of your play out of the players when you talk to them? I, I really, cause like, I'm always so much about like, I just want the truth. I really want to hear the truth and I would love to interview more players, but I still think, Unfortunately, being in the public, players have to be, I don't know, what would you say, 30% guarded? I'm curious what you think of that. I think a lot of them do. I mean, the goal that we started with the podcast was we wanted to kind of create a safe space for players to come on and be able to talk about things outside of baseball where they can actually talk about who they are as individual human beings. So I think a lot of them aren't guarded when they come on because we're not talking about their performances, why they had a bad day, game, talking more about like life and what drives them. So we'll talk about their journey through baseball and things like that, but that's not the central focus. It's more trying to find out, okay, um, what are your passions away from the game? What do you do to kind of train your mind on the field, looking at mindset things? So a lot of them aren't guarded in that sense because it gives them an opportunity to talk about things that are real life. And like the, I, we've had uh, Anderson Miller on, was a prospect with the Royals at one time, and he just talked about his family and how much joy his family gives him. And that's like basically was the entire podcast. It's like mm -hmm. his journey of, kind of trying to go through adversity, getting released, or not, sorry, electing for, for free agency with the Royals, but then hitting COVID. Then he was like, raising his kid he was going through playing independent ball like 45 minutes to an hour away from his house he was going to school finishing his degree and so like people don't realize those kind of things and i think players are willing to be open about that because no one asks them about that stuff and so that's like what we're trying to do is like we're trying to ask more about those things that the players don't necessarily always get to talk about because when they're reporting well, I guess one other thing i just want to ask yeah. is is it because you were a ball player and that you kind of they more trusting with you because you know baseball and you've been connected to the game or I only played in high do you, school. Do you think, cause so you said they're know. open to talk about this stuff. <laughs> I'd be curious to see what other kind of people would, who were just podcasters or regular Joes and Janes who wanted to talk to baseball players, honestly about what their lives passion was or something like that. I'm, I'm curious if that would change the dynamic at all. Cause I got to feel like who you are and life you've lived and how you've become connected yeah. to the game probably gives you a little bit of an edge right yeah i would say i guess i mean i only played in high school i worked in baseball for a little bit at the college level but eh, it wasn't like uh, i have like a huge connection like that's the one thing i've always talked about is wanting to get a co-host who was a player just because i they have a perspective that i just don't necessarily mm -hmm. understand and they've been through it and i think they could ask better some not necessarily better but different questions that i might not be thinking of um that's been one of my goals for the podcast in the offseason kind of going into next year is to try to find a player who can be a co-host or ex-player who actually has been through it um, and kind of can pull out some other questions um, that I might not be able to think of. So I think that's one thing like I'm trying to think of like foul territory, I think, is a good example of a media organization that has a does a good job at like mainly getting the truth out of players and actually giving them a platform they feel comfortable because mm -hmm. it's all former players basically that are running foul territory. And so it's a, an area where they, they have a friend there, they're willing to talk and they're willing to, to kind of sit down and it's not like a reporter coming up to them that they don't know. It's like their buddies that they used to play with. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's definitely one of those things. I mean, when we, we had Justin Henry Malloy on last mm -hmm. year, he was, he was someone I had sponsored through adopt a minor leaguer, That's which cool. love, love their program. But one of the things when, we first signed, or when I first signed up for Adopt a Minor Leader, they let me know, hey, you guys can have the 
the amount of contact you want to have. You can have the, you know, the type of relationship you want to have. And a lot of folks end up really getting to know each other, yada, yada, yada afterwards. And I went, you know, I'm okay with that if that's what he wants, but I want to do something to help support him in his pursuit. And this is before I even knew who the heck it was. And then, you know, I ended up with uh, being connected with Justin and he and I, we texted and a few different times over the course of um, over the course of the year beyond just, you know, supporting him, things like that. But I think I sent him a text when he got traded this off season and I sent him one or two total this entire year. And he'll respond back right away, but it's not something where we're in this, Oh my gosh, we got to, you know, I got to, I have a connection, got to, you know, milk that connection for all it's worth. Cause gosh, darn it. We talk about him about, you know, every other podcast, (laughs) just because he's a, he's on, he's on big, big, bad tigers, (laughs) you know? And uh, he, you know, so yeah, he's, he's on, on one of our teams, but uh, at the same time, he's also, been bumping up against the majors all year long and so it's one of those things that you know you we as in our spectrum do get some connections like that but at the same time yeah like you mentioned it's good to have that other player that can be involved because even if they don't have a necessarily a a one-to-one connection with that other player that player's been there done it and so you you have that conversation. I'm a you know a guy from the middle of nowhere in South Dakota talking to you about playing minor league ball and what the heck do I know? Yeah. Um, you know, whereas you know someone else who been through who's been through the buses, who's been through the you know the sharing five guys sharing an apartment, you know things mm-hmm. like that. Those are that's just an, a perspective you can't get until you have it. And yeah, that's I really, mean. I- that's kind of life though too, right? Yeah. You, you're always trying, like when you're trying to learn, you're trying to learn from people who've been through kind of similar situations that you have, or if you're trying to figure out how to overcome adversity and those kind of things, you're, you're just constantly looking for people who have been through it because they, they have advice that can help. Uh, but I, we, I interviewed uh, Ben Kujana with the Royals and he said that the, what the Royals did, they did morning coffees. So like they would have the oh. new prospects sit down with the older minor leaguers. So when Vinny Pasquantino, Michael Massey, all those guys were like in the upper levels, they'd have the minor leaguers come in and do like morning, the new like rookie ball, a ball minor leaguers come mm-hmm. in and do morning coffee so they could learn and ask them questions and be like, Hey, I've been experiencing this in my first year. How did you get through it? Those kind of things. So yeah, I think it's always about that. Trying to find ways to, to develop those connections with people that have been kind of through similar things. So then beyond connections, from your experience, Jared, what do you think, where do you think we are as far as providing services for those in baseball who may need mental health help? I think we're in a much better place than we used to be. I look what the San Francisco Giants are doing with Drew Robinson and Shauna Alexander, who she's mm-hmm. she's uh, running the behavioral health department there at San, for the Giants. Um, you have, uh, I think it's Melissa Lambert with the Royals, who's now the director of behavioral health, and she's in the dugout with the team. So when they're going through experiences during the game, she can help them through that as well. And mm-hmm. she's licensed, trained, professional. I don't think she's just a mental performance coach. I believe she's got um, a master's or a PhD as well. Um, so th- their teams are really starting to embrace it. Not every team has embraced it, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 
it's one of those things that's going to kind of be slow and slowly kind of build up more and more teams will see how good of a resource it is and really focus on that human side. And I think more and more of them are starting to. So um, some teams still just have mental performance coaches, which isn't the same thing as having like a trained no. behavioral health no. specialist on staff. Um, but the, it's something at least um, like the Rays have a mental performance coach at each level. Um, so that at least they're starting to make progress there. And I believe they have like a director of behavioral health too. The one team that's actually really intriguing to me is the Pittsburgh Pirates. They have a director of education um, who actually mm-hmm. helps them provide ed- the players educational resources, finds them ways to get into college, like the young high school guys who haven't been in college. Um, they have like director of education leads that team that ha- leads like a whole entire mental health team. Like the pirates have like an entire system put together related to the human side, whether it's education, mental health, mental performance coaches, all these things. Yeah. That's, and you know, I will say scanning team job boards the education side of thing is something I've seen pop up a lot mm-hmm. over the last, you know, 12 months or so that all of a sudden there's jobs in that field to be an education director for a team that you never heard of someone doing that yeah. prior to that, which is really, I think that's great because how many of these 16 year old kids that get signed out of the Dominican never end up taking another moment of school? Yeah. And they then get English what do they classes go to? And that's about it. Yeah. I mean, and what do they go to? Because let's be honest, the vast majority of them are never going to see a day outside of eight ball, mm. you know? So what are they going to after that? You know, yeah. they're never going to really get quote unquote big money. So what are they going to? And, and having that education at wing to give players a life after is such a huge portion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Caleb Mezzi, who hosts the podcast with me, he did his whole dissertation on transitions for baseball players. Um, So he interviewed a bunch of former players, um, did a whole entire research report um, looking at what kind of resources do players have trying to transition. Now he's a professor at a university and just in sports management, but his whole Mm -hmm. focus is career transitions for athletes, but more specifically baseball players, because that seems where where the biggest need is. Um, A lot of players don't go in, thinking my career is going to end in three years (laughs) and then next thing it is and they have to find out that next step so he's been working on a whole entire program where he helps athletes um with transitions to the next step in life well yeah this is i see jared this has been excellent i've enjoyed the conversation thanks for Um, having me on it's been awesome yeah i mean this is for those who don't know you're looking at three of the guys who were nominated for the IBWAA awards. Ooh. Voting is now done. <laughs> From what I understand, over 1,100 people voted. I hope most of you voted for the three people you see on the screen here. Um, but it it has been, it, it's neat that they're doing something like that to recognize content creators for IBWAA. But I just, I want to express again, Jared, how appreciative I am of the, work you do in the podcast space because I really enjoy the angle you take working with players. It, for me, I can't see that part enough. You know, working for years doing prospect stuff, I hear so much. I mean, some of the best stories I have is from a mom who sent me notes thanking me for the coverage of her son Mm. or for, you know, from, from a brother who talks about how, you know, it was really a tough time for his brother getting through the league, you know, that he was in. And, you know, I wrote something that really 
gave him something to pull, hold on to. And you're just going, well, I wrote a little little blurb on some site on fan sighting. You know, I really yeah. wasn't, it wasn't like I was out here, you know, you know, on ESPN or anything, but you know, those things, players grab onto that. Mm-hmm. And that positive aspect that we can give to players, they also in turn apply that into their career. And I know that guy whose mom got a hold of me, he had a really up and down kind of a cruddy minor league career. He's gone on to do some really nice things yeah. in his life, but he could have taken that and gone a bad way with it. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and that's, you love to hear those kind of stories. Um, and for what it's worth, it's a guy I'm working on to potentially have on this podcast. Cause I think he would be really fun. Um, he's a decade out of baseball at this point. So, <laughs> which makes me feel like I'm really old for have written about a prospect <laughs> who's now been out of the game for 10 years. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things when we, there are generations to come still in baseball yeah. and we want to continue to make the game better generation upon generation. And like I said, I love what you're doing because it allows us to focus on that player beyond the field. Yeah. I watch, I take pictures and report on a lot of baseball over the course of a year at the high school and lower levels. And so many, so many of those folks just don't, they don't see anything but the game. Yeah. Those kids just don't see anything but the game. But if you have a story, you can lead them into that. Hey, you should go watch this thing. I know you guys are talking about this player. Go watch this thing about that player. Um, yeah. Uh, Seth Stowes of Twins Daily does a great podcast with Twins prospects, and one of the players was mentioning something with Trevor Larnock in a in a dugout. And I said, "You guys should go listen to this." Thing. Seth interviewed Trevor. You guys should go listen to this because Trevor's really kind of a cool guy. I think you guys would enjoy who he is, not just the way he can hit a baseball. So, yeah. Well, I, thanks for having me on. This has been awesome. Uh, it's just been cool to talk about this stuff uh, and seeing that more people are really enjoying it too. I, I, it's just getting the stories out and the messages out. That's, that's the main reason why we do it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times we don't even feature ourselves in the promotions of stuff because we want it to be player centered and player focused. Yep. So um, I appreciate you having the opportunity to talk about it and just be able to, to chat mental health and baseball. Well, thanks for coming on. That's, Thanks to everyone who's watched or listened to what we we had to say today, and I hope you apply it towards how you love the game. But for that, all that's all I got. It's been great chatting with you, Jared. Mike, I know you got to get to more shows, so we'll sign off and say thanks for tuning in, folks, and we'll talk to you next next time. <laughs> Oh, oh, oh.